I know. Go ahead and uh, stand up and greet one another. <laughs> I was into there you go. This Good morning. Just to make it super clear, we are having a Christmas Eve service. It's at 9 a.m. <laughs> just, just wanted to make it super clear. Yeah. It's just one, nine o'clock, right? Just nine o'clock. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to be here. Um, just a, a joy to be in God's word, right? To come and gather together and fellowship and worship him corporately and uh, continue to subject ourselves to him and his authority and his work of sanctification in our lives. Um, working, we are here working out our salvation in fear and trembling is what we're doing. And how I know that is because this is in accordance with his word, and therefore it's, it's, a, a, it's an expression of our obedience to him, of submitting ourselves to him. And as we do that, as we subject ourselves to the studying of God's word, we are therefore allowing him and his spirit to do a work in us this morning. And so that's why it's important for us to be attentive to the word of God to incline our ear to him and to hear what he has to say uh, to the church this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be wrapping up the ninth chapter of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And the title of this morning's message is The Path of Calvary, not the path to Calvary, although we're going to see how it is that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem like a flint and continues down that path or that, path, that, that uh, upward path to Jerusalem. But this is, uh, as we study these verses in the last portion of this chapter, we're going to be learning what he's teaching his disciples in that day, and that is how to be on the path of Calvary. And that is something that we're, we're in constant in the, the constant process of, of learning ourselves. And so let's read, first of all, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of, of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you. Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh Lord, what a lesson. Oh Lord, the the marks of a genuine Christian Lord, are, are the marks of sacrifice. Of completely surrendering our lives to you. In its totality, Lord, there's nothing left for us. So, Father, as we consider these verses, Lord, let us subject ourselves to you. Lord, perhaps that you may break the mold of preconceived notions or maybe even building up a a God in our own hearts that we follow according to our own desires instead of simply trusting in you and, and Lord, heeding the warnings and the instructions, Lord, taking them to heart and simply following them, that, that you may be blessed, you may be glorified, and that we may be found to be genuine followers of you. And so, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for this time, and we ask, Lord, that you would do work in our hearts and that you would be blessed, Father. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning's text brings us to the point in which Jesus sets his face toward Calvary, toward the cross, Golgotha. Jesus had told his disciples several times, according to Luke chapter 9, verse 20, as we've gone through that earlier in this chapter, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. But we know that at the time, they didn't have, they didn't understand, they didn't grasp the meaning of what Jesus was telling them. In hindsight, it would serve them, they would understand. Therefore, they explained to us, as we know the gospel of Luke, how it is that he is writing this, that there would be an understanding, a confirmation of the things that Theophilus had already heard. And for you and I, it's explained to us. It was earlier in this chapter that we read and learned about how Jesus determined how it was that he was to be followed. He's the one that determined that. He's the one that defined it. Remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Those were the terms that he set, not anyone else. It was determined and said by him. And so the focus now is on teaching the disciples how to deny themselves, how to take up their cross daily, and how to follow Jesus. This lesson of discipleship is being furthered this morning as we see how Jesus addresses his disciples when he is rejected by this Samaritan village and, and it's James and John that desire to call upon heaven for fire to rain down upon them. In other words, uh, to bring judgment upon them. That's what they desire. And how it is that through that, Jesus is teaching them how to respond to things like this. We also, in the the latter portion of this, in the final verses, we see how it is that Jesus responds to how others commit half-heartedly or without understanding to follow Jesus. Again, this gives us today an understanding of what it takes to follow Jesus, what he requires of us. 
It's a full commitment. It's a devotion. It's a complete sacrifice, not partial, for that, that is no sacrifice at all. The path of Calvary is being taught. What it looks like to walk the path of dying to self and following Jesus Christ. Because to walk with Jesus is a humble and a humbling path all along the way. It requires, first and foremost, a steadfast determination. A steadfast determination. Again, verse 51 says, When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because, he, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. A steadfast determination is what is exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ. It was now, you see, the time for Jesus to begin making his way to Jerusalem. He was making his way up to Jerusalem to be lifted up on the cross. To have victory over our sins on the cross. To have victory over the grave as he resurrected. To have victory and also not, over, not only over our sin, over death, but also to assure, his, uh, assure us as he ascended into heaven after 40 days. That we would go to where he is. He would come back for us and he would take us to where he is. That's what he set his face toward. He knew that that is exactly what he was going to, to gain victory over sin and death. In fact, this very day that we're referring to this morning is prophesied about by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, it says, But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. We read here in Luke that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. In Isaiah, we read, I have set my face like flint. Which means, he knew his time had come. He knew his time had come to suffer affliction for you and I. And ultimately to be crucified, to shed his blood on the cross. And now he, he shifts his focus, not just in the area of Galilee, but now he starts going toward Jerusalem along this path that would lead to the cross at Calvary. And nothing would distract Jesus from walking this out as he knew that this was his whole purpose for having been sent by the Father. This was his whole purpose. His whole reason for coming was that he would die for you and I. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Hey, listen. Uh, remember that there were well-meaning people surrounding him, right? Peter. He was a man who was well-meaning when he rebuked Jesus for saying that he must suffer and be crucified and be raised on the third day. He was well-meaning, and yet he was 100% wrong. <laughs> In fact, Jesus told him, get behind me, Satan. For your, your mind, your thoughts are on the things of this world and not on the things of heaven. That wouldn't successfully deter Jesus from going to the cross. Not even his closest friends. One thing is to say you have the courage to do something. It's quite another to see the path to death ahead and still advance with even more determination toward it. That's why I, I love to see people who are determined in achieving something that they have set their face to accomplish. 
It's just a, a, a great example. Nothing comes close to persevering and having that determination in the Lord and for the things of the Lord. But we see those examples like in sports. The man carrying the, the pigskin, going down the field to score. And I love it when I see him get hit time and time again. Almost go down, get back up. And you've seen those videos. Nothing can stop that man from getting all the way to the end and scoring, right? I love that. I love the man that gets hit, falls down, and pops right back up. And then it happens again. And then again, and then again, but little by little is getting to the end zone. I love to see that. I love to see a basketball game where it's, it's coming down to the last three seconds. But the team does not quit. And the last three seconds end up being three hours. Because you know basketball. It's like, what's going on? Time out, time out, time <laughs> But I love in, in those last three seconds how it is that they bring it in. And they make one last shot, right? Right at the buzzer. Score. Determination. Do you have that kind of determination for the things of the Lord? You persevere. When, you're, when, when you get knocked down, do you get back up and keep going? Have you set your face like flint upon Jesus Christ? The Lord is our perfect example. For your sake, he went to the cross. He knew at this time it was his hour. He knew what he was going to. And yet knowing that, he went anyway. Jesus saw the cross before him, but more importantly, he saw you before him. He saw you. Because had he not gone to the cross, you would not know salvation. And he set himself toward it. Began to advance to it. In verse 52, it says, And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. It was for this very reason. As he sent some messengers ahead of him into, a, interestingly, a Samaritan village, he didn't go around the Samaritan village, which normally the Jews would do. They wouldn't dare enter into uh, Samaritan village, they would go around it, even if it took two more days to get to their intended destination. But he told them, go into the Samaritan village and make preparations to settle there. And yet, they were rejected. And the reason why they were rejected is told to us here. It was because somehow they found out that he was on his way to Jerusalem where the Jews were, in Jerusalem. So that was the place where the Jews worshipped. You see, the Samaritans are a people who had intermarried with the Gentiles in the northern kingdom and had developed their own manipulated, really false interpretation of worshipping God. A false translation, you could say, of the Pentateuch and even built their own temple on Mount Gerizim to worship. Not Jerusalem, but on, on Mount Gerizim, the Jews, and it's something that is commonly known, is that the, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. The Jews despised the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despised the Jews. And so it was unusual that Jesus would send his disciples into a Samaritan village to prepare a place for him, and his disciples. And yet that is exactly what he did. 
Sure enough, the Samaritans, especially knowing that he was going to Jerusalem, rejected him. And yet, again, we see expressed here Jesus' steadfast determination. He was unshaken no matter what he experienced. A rebuke by his closest disciple, Peter. The rejection of a, an entire village. Don't you know who is coming through? The one who's going to shed his blood for you as well. Unshaken. I love how it is that in Romans 5.8 it says, But God demonstrated his love toward you and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Died for you. It is amazing. It is amazing just to consider the fact that God loved us, the unlovable, the undeserving, and was willing to send his only begotten to die. And, and then that Jesus himself would be willing, even after having come and dwelt among us, that he would be willing to die for us. But he was unshaken. He was unmoved. Whether it be temptation, lack of understanding by his disciples, or rejection because of his steadfast resolve to fulfill the Father's will, and whether anyone else agreed or disagreed, he remained focused on traveling the path to Calvary completely. A steadfast determination. A meek response. Verse 54 says, And when his, his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> he takes this as an opportunity, though, to teach them about discipleship and really how to respond to this. Right? James and John are also known as the sons of thunder. They responded to the Samaritans' rejection of of Jesus, as you would expect loyal friends to respond, right? Hey, we got your back. Come what may, we got your back. Oh, you want to mess with him? You mess with him, you mess with all of us. You would expect that, right? Loyal friends, that's what they do. And I love that when when you have that, you, you have confidence. You are, are in that place to where you're surrounded by those who are of the same mind. But did James and John have the same mind of Christ? Who gave them this nickname, Sons of Thunder? Jesus, right? Their Lord. Sons of Thunder. Rem remember that. James and John, you have this nickname for a reason, and this is where it comes from, right? Oh, man, reminded of that. That's your inclination is to respond or react in an angry way. So they responded. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? It's... And then the way it was, it was said, in the original, it just exudes confidence. <laughs> they would demonstrate their loyalty to Jesus later by the manner in which they were willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But for James and John, it was a confident response, but it was an angry response, and it was an inappropriate response. And in this response, they seemed so, so confident that they could tell fire to come down from heaven and consume the Samaritans when they couldn't even cast out a demon from the demon... From, from the boy who was possessed with the unclean spirit. You remember that? We just went over that. 
the New King James Version adds just as Elijah did. So they were, they at that moment, they were thinking that their faith was as Elijah's was. And if Elijah could do it, we could do it. Oh, they'll be able to do much more. They just need to get a fuller understanding of what the Lord's will is. And when they said this, Jesus simply turned to them and rebuked them. And then they continued to another village. They simply moved on. Again, addressing the new King James says, and it adds there, and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. This was his, his rebuke of them. The strength is not demonstrated in an angry reaction, perhaps of even vengeance. Whether it be direct or indirect. I mean, trust me, I mean, we're smart enough to understand and, and don't kid yourself when others don't realize that you're finding, applying vengeance upon someone else in an indirect way. That's not a demonstration of strength. but rather in the ability to remain steadfast and unmoved by anything, including rejection. Meekness is bridled strength. And you allow the Lord to take hold of, those, of the bridle, to direct you, to guide you, but it's disciplined, it's controlled. It's uh, uh, with submission, to the one who has taken the reins. Meekness is being faced with the temptation to do something in the flesh which is opposed to the spirit and yet to be resolute in doing what is right. Come what may. And what James and John were proposing would only serve as a distraction and even a deviation from what the Father's will was. The disciples were being taught what it meant to deny oneself. You remember what a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, how he, he defined it? The first thing is deny oneself. Deny yourself. And he was teaching them that. Matthew 5.5 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is, is not being a doormat. Meekness is not weakness. It, it is strength under control and in submission to the Spirit of God in alignment with the Word of God. A weak man will succumb to the flesh, will succumb to his pride, and will react to situations instead of responding to them in a way that reflects that the only goal for them is to glorify God. A meek response does not mean also a weak response. And even less a compromised response. After all, didn't Jesus rebuke James and John? He had rebuked Peter for not having his thoughts on heavenly things, but was mindful of that which was earthly. He wasn't mindful of what was the will of the Father. You see, the path of Calvary requires a steadfast determination and to possess the spirit in which, in which and from whom he gives us the power to have a meek response. A steadfast determination, a meek response, and lastly, an immediate and complete surrender. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, 
Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, this group, this uh, last group of three that uh, we're going to see here, uh, we see how it is that uh, Jesus is going to clearly lay out for us that as he calls us, there needs to be an immediate and complete surrender. There was a group that was following Jesus. It included his apostles and others that were following him, perhaps some disciples that um, were also gleaning from the Lord and following him wherever he went. And then there were others that followed him momentarily for a short period of time as he traveled through those villages. And they would fall off. As they were going along, there were people who said they would, would follow Jesus without having really an understanding of what that meant. They saw how Jesus had performed miracles and his disciples were being taught and sent out. And they thought, perhaps in, you know, from this perspective, from this view, I, I know exactly what it means to follow Jesus. And so that looks so good. I want to be one of those who are a part of that group. And I want to experience those miracles. I want to, I want to hear what he has to say. And yet, it wasn't just hearing and, and experiencing. It was, it was being a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. But he tells us here what, what that means. We have three examples of what people said and the clear message that Jesus gave them that following him required personal sacrifice. The first one said, and he was very quick to do this, I will follow you wherever you go. Many people will say this, but not understand what this means. Jesus was not concerned about the things of this world, but to fulfill the Father's will. At any personal cost, including his own life. And we know that. He went to the cross. That would include being fully aware that one moment he may be in a comfortable setting. And the next moment, perhaps he may have nowhere to lay his head down for the night. And yet, even in that. His resolve, his resolve remained. His face would be set toward Jerusalem. This man's statement was a pretentious statement. And Jesus knew this. A man is always going to be tested through trials. You know, Paul was a man who was tested, wouldn't you say? a little bit. It's tested. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through, through him who strengthens me. The Apostle Paul had, had learned, had learned that the very thing that Jesus is responding to this man with, Paul had realized it. He was walking it out in his own life. Again, it's one thing to say, I am courageous. I will, and I'll go out, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, when you're not doing it today. You're not willing to do it consistently. The heart of sacrifice is what honors the Lord. Complete sacrifice. Not partial. Not by word. Not by word only. But it's acting it out. This man was pretentious. 
To another man, we have another example here. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This, this response in Jesus, this man, he wasn't speaking before Jesus. He actually responded to Jesus' call on him. He said, follow me. Hold on. Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, this did not mean that his father had just died and he was going to make uh, funeral preparations to bury his father and, and do all of that. That's not what this means. It means, as we know the day in which this is set in, that what that meant is that he was going back to take care of his father, who was perhaps not able to care for himself, who needed help, and, and so it was an undetermined amount of time that he would spend caring for his father. And then once that's done, then he'll, he'll come back and he'll, he'll follow the Lord. He didn't say no. He just said, not now. It's interesting. This is... It's interesting because of the whole situation. The first man was super quick to follow Jesus, right? And yet this man was, was slow to follow Jesus. David Guzik said this, quote, Jesus pressed the man to follow him now and clearly stated the principle that family obligations or any other obligation must not be put ahead of following Jesus. Jesus must come first, period. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus speaking said this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You may already be squirming in your seat. Because I know that this upsets a lot of people. It's one of those moments to where it's like, when Jesus starts going through the difficult things, it's like, ah, oh, we were fine following you up to this point. <laughs> now this is a bit uncomfortable. I know this upsets many people, as I hear often this very thing. My family is my ministry. Now, your family should be your ministry. But that is a statement that is made to justify not serving anywhere else. What that means is that service within the body is at best, at best, secondary, but will always be undetermined. It's up in the air. Because everything else takes precedence over service. The Lord tells us in his word, let your yes be yes, your no be no, right? That's why I don't get it. Like at work, you're consistent in going to work and performing that work because you're getting a paycheck, right? And yet, why is it? And this is, this is for us, church. We should be the most faithful people in the world, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? <laughs> so why is it that we find it so easy? I know I've made a commitment, but you know, 
I just had a hard week. So I, I can't, I, I, I won't be in. It's going to be Sunday fun day at the beach and not at, you know, because I need that me time, you know. When you've made a commitment, listen, I know what it means to be tired. I know what it means to just sacrifice. I know that. And yet, at the same time, I feel like I, I, I don't know it. There's more. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. The Lord cannot be secondary. And then it'll continue. The justification will continue. Well, that's not what the Lord requires. It's, you know, show me that specifically in the word. Well, I can show you a lot of specific things, uh, things in, in our lives that isn't specifically referred to in the word. And yet that's what he calls us to. To live sacrificial lives unto him. Perhaps I don't know. Church, we've we've got to be faithful, faithful to the Lord, faithful to each other and the commitments that we've made. Come on, May. I, I wanna I wanna be exhausted with you and yet victorious on the battlefield. Listen, Jesus was not saying for him to neglect his father. Just like the rich young ruler, he's like, what must I, I do to know salvation? And Jesus, knowing his heart, told him, sell everything you have and then come follow me. And he went away sorrowful, right? Filled with sorrow because he had, he had many possessions. He knows he wasn't telling him to neglect his father, but make arrangements so that he could meet the calling Jesus had on him to follow him. You see, Jesus was not afraid to set the standard, his standard of discipleship, and by it potentially discourage people from following him. It requires a sacrifice, a repentance. He wasn't afraid to offend. This is the standard. Meet the standard. This is what it means to follow me. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're not worthy. You don't meet those demands, those standards, that standard of what it means to, to be a follower of me and to express your love for me. So if you're not willing to express your love for me, then it means you're not one of mine. Either one is willing or one is not. In verse 61, this is yet another one who, who says, uh, he says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This, in fact, is a, a short wait because he would go back and say his farewell to his friends, his family, the world, and the whole world would know, everyone would know that he would, was now about to follow Jesus. It's like the person who, before surrendering their lives completely to, uh, to Jesus and serving him, will go and have uh, just one last hurrah, want to go back and I want to do the things that I want to do. I've been like, because I know oh, you're a tough master. And I'm going to have to follow all your rules. I'm going to have to follow all the things that you demand in your word. And I know, I know, I know. And so I'm just going to go do what I want to do just for a little bit. I'm going to go say farewell. And then I'm going to come back. You'll never come back. They'll be drawn more to the world than to Jesus because that includes compromise. That's what that includes. It includes compromise. Listen, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But Jesus told his disciples when he had asked them to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. They kept falling asleep. You remember that? And he says, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
Don't trust the flesh. You don't need to go back and say farewell. Today, if the Lord is drawing you to him, respond to him right now. You go back into the world, you'll be weakened further. And you won't do it. You won't do it. Complete commitment, devotion, and sacrifice is required for the follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot mince words. I can't do that with a straight face or with a clear conscience. I cannot sugarcoat the gospel of Jesus Christ nor the truth of his word. I cannot do that. And say that I am being faithful to his word. This is what's required of us, church. This is, this is it. A farmer will never plow a straight line while he's looking backward. I remember being in Haiti and seeing a, a farmer. He was plowing with a, a couple of uh, bulls is what they did. Some big old horns on it. You remember that, Robert? He had his face straight forward, looking straight and plowing. Man, those rows were, were beautiful. When, when he was done with that field, right, you could see it. It was like going like that because it was following the contour of the road. And, and then he came back, and it was just, he was doing that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he was done, and it was ready to be tended to, laid this, to this, for the seeds to be laid in. It is required that that plowman keep his eyes forward. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we lay all of those things aside, and we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, and we plow straight. We don't look back. We don't regard like Lot's wife. She turned around and longed for those things that she had left behind. Don't long for those things. A successful plowman never lets go of the plow, always keeps his eyes fixed forward and quietly walks behind. Again, a, success, a successful plowman never lets go of the plow, always keeps his eyes fixed forward and quietly walks behind. And Jesus is telling this man, the time to follow is now. And what is required is that you never look back and long for the things of this world, not your old life. Don't, don't long for them. The best is yet to come. The path of Calvary requires a steadfast determination a meek response, and an immediate and complete surrender. If you have not completely surrendered yourself, your whole life to Jesus Christ, may today be that day. And I'm talking about if you've, if you've committed your life to him, you've surrendered it as far as salvation is concerned, that's one thing. But being a follower of Jesus Christ and being a disciple of him may be something that didn't come at the same time. May you repent today and find yourself a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. If you don't know salvation, may today be the day of salvation. For that calling, you may never hear again. As I learned of someone here just yesterday, I was reading how it was that someone who never expected this to happen, but this is, this is life, all right? This family had moved away. Their son stayed behind. He had actually played baseball against my son Isaiah. And just last month, was in an accident in Riverside and died. 19 years old. I, I tell you this all the time, but sometimes we take it for granted. And we don't know. Tomorrow's not promised. It doesn't matter how old you are. 
If God's calling you today and you don't know salvation, surrender your life to him. If we confess, if we confess, right, with our very mouths, why? Because it, it, it wells up from the very heart. And we cry out and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and we repent of our sins and, and we ask him to be Lord and Savior. He, he promises us that if we believe on Jesus Christ, that we will know salvation. And I pray that you would respond that way this morning. If you need to recommit your life to the Lord, may you do it this morning. Not with anything other than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And you, you do that in your seat. And if you do, come and tell me. I'd love to pray with you, for you. Love to come alongside you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. For anyone else who would like to come up for any prayer, I'm here. We're going to close with this. And actually, we can have the worship team come up. Maybe y'all can help. It's, uh, I don't know if you can put it up or not, but I have decided to follow Jesus. And then we'll, we'll close with whatever it is that you have. I know it's a simple song, but we can all stand to our feet, please. Most of you probably know this song anyway, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, Still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's close out with just a, a wonderful shout of praise to our God, our Savior.